This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. So you know, this episode has language that's PG-13. So if you're playing this on your speakers in the office, maybe save it for later. This looks official. This looks official. What is this? That's Brian de los Santos. He's a journalist and the host of the new podcast from LA Studios called How to LA. Authorization for parole of an alien into the United States. Department of Homeland. I was approved for something called advanced parole. He's also a recipient of DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program which makes Brian one of an estimated 800,000 immigrants in the U.S. who were brought here as children and granted permission to stay under DACA at one point or another. For all purposes, DACA authorization is valid for one entry. DACA has been life-changing for hundreds of thousands of young people. Deportation relief, access to driver's license, work authorization. A social security number. DACA is a permit that allows Brian to work, to pay taxes, and to stay in the U.S. What it doesn't allow is for Brian to leave. At least, not if he wants to come back. DACA doesn't provide a pathway to legalization. Beneficiaries can still be deported, removed from this country. That means for hundreds of thousands of people like me, leaving the country is not simple. In fact, Brian has never been able to return to his family or his home country since leaving Veracruz, Mexico, as a two-year-old. And that was 30 years ago. So in the fall of 2022, Brian decided to work with a lawyer, wrangling official documentation from Mexico, filling out forms, and submitting his application. All to make his case to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services for the chance to be granted advanced parole. For the chance to go home. What advanced parole provides is the opportunity to re-enter the United States right after leaving the country. Traveling outside the authorization period may result in termination of DACA. Four months later, after three decades living in L.A., Brian was getting that chance. Oh my God. I'm going to Mexico, y'all. You're listening to Code Switch. I'm Lori Lizarraga. That tape you're hearing is from Brian's recent limited series, Finding Home con DACA. It's a story that really stuck with me because it's the reporting of an identity crisis that feels very familiar. Brian is Mexicano, a Mexican national by birth, but Spanish is his second language. And he grew up in L.A. He goes hard for his city, too. I mean, he literally hosts a show about it. So while he is part of American culture, technically, he is an American. A technicality that matters to the government, politicians, homeland security, a not insignificant portion of the American population, and to Brian. Recipients of DACA are these especially unique immigrants who today have spent more time in the U.S. than in their country of birth. That's certainly true for Brian, who's spent 30 years now in a country he's never felt the right to claim 
and 30 years outside a country he's never had the right to know. Ni de aquí, ni de allá. DACA will turn 11 years old this summer. I would argue that it's been the most successful immigrant integration policy we've seen in decades. That's Roberto Gonzalez. And I teach sociology at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's also testified before Congress on immigration policy reform. The situation has not changed dramatically in those 11 years. And Congress has had more than a decade to act, and it has not. Those who have DACA are no closer to citizenship no closer to a broader set of rights than they were when they first obtained DACA. I consider myself someone who's very well informed as a journalist, obviously, but I have been since I was told I was undocumented in middle school. I had to kind of be in the survival mode of like, I have to be a one step ahead with information, whether it was resources or even how to drive in certain streets. The LAPD versus the LA County Sheriffs, you know, who is more pro-immigrant or who is more anti-immigrant in those departments. Since I found out I was undocumented, it's always been like a risk of just living here. And DACA has made things a lot easier, obviously. I'm able to work legally, I have a driver's license, travel outside the country with advanced parole, but, you know, I can't vote. And then you do this permit every two years. It gets tiring to just go through this. And I'm curious to know what have you heard through your work, through your research, through talking to communities. Because like you said earlier, there isn't any progress or change with the DACA program so far. Yeah, this is a really difficult thing. My involvement with undocumented young people dates back to the early 1990s. I was really curious about, you know, what do young people do who've grown up in this country and don't have status? What do they look like over time? I started realizing that many of the young people that I spoke to were describing physical and emotional manifestations of stress. Chronic headaches, toothaches, ulcers, trouble getting out of bed in the morning, sleep disorders, eating disorders, thoughts of suicide. The stress of seeing friends that you've grown up with who are able to advance in their lives while you stay in one place. Having to keep secrets from people you're very close to about your status. Constant looking over your shoulder always, always on the alert in case something would happen. The advanced parole has been a game changer for so many young people to touch ground in their countries of birth. But the advanced parole windows can be very tight. A person may wait months or even a full year for USCIS to process their request. Then once they are approved, they may have just weeks to complete that trip. The moment I got that letter in the mail, I could see a stopwatch just hanging over my head. I sent my original request five months ago and heard nothing back. Now it's real. I gotta figure everything out fast. How do I even get there? And it's super expensive. Like, I gotta leave in about two weeks, so I know that prices are not gonna be pretty. What are the gay-friendly spots? I don't even have a damn suitcase. Shoes, clothes, my gear for work. Are they gonna give me the time off? Who's gonna host a podcast? I gotta talk to my manager. Actually, that I'm leaving the country. 
Wait, where am I even going to stay? Hello? Hey, Dad, it's me. Oh, what's up, Igor? Um, okay, so have some news. Good news or bad news? <laughs> it is, it's good news. It's, it's good news. Um, I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> oh, wow. That's um, wonderful. That's great. When do you know that? I just found out through this letter that I got sent to at home. Essentially, only have like two weeks and a few days to prepare. Mm -hmm. And I am trying not to freak out about it and have an anxiety attack, but, um, so I tell my dad and I'm like, my friend who knows about immigration stuff told me that if I'm anxious or stressed out about crossing the border legally this time, I should just bring someone with me. They could be helpful if anything goes wrong. So mi pregunta para ti es, ¿pudieras llegar conmigo de regreso a los Estados Unidos? Can you come back into the U.S. with me? Well, well, well. Well, um... We are planning to, to go with your mom over there and probably we can meet over there, go together. You can see your grandma from my side, your grandma from your mother's side. Everything will be there over there. Oh, wait, wait when are you going? Uh, Do you know the date? I, I need to check my calendar, but you need me to come back with you at an earlier time. I can move my flight and fly with you. No problem, Nico. I'm going to be honest here. It's hard to overestimate how stressful it was to plan out this trip. And my experience was probably easier compared to many other undocumented people. I'm a journalist who has reported on immigration before, and I have a lot of contacts in that space. I had a great immigration lawyer. I had family to stay with in Mexico. I have a job that was willing to let me leave on short notice. The process was still complicated. Every step of the way, it felt like I was being kicked back into survival mode. And I kept asking myself, why does it have to be this way? Like, why is this so difficult? Most Americans agree that, that our immigration system is broken, been broken for a long time. But it's also a really hot-button topic, and our Congress has been gridlocked for the last decade or so. So in the absence of congressional action, Immigration lawmaking has been done through the executive branch. DACA, Temporary Protected Status, the Remain in Mexico program, Muslim ban. The lawmaking has been really done through administrative actions. And immigration law is very complicated. When you get to Veracruz, there is a lot of places where you can stay. You don't need to stay in a hotel. You can stay with my mom, or you can stay with your grandmother from your mom's side. Then your aunt can take you out. One of your uncles can take you out in Orizaba, or Veracruz, Harbor. They can take you to your hometown. Enjoy it over there. Veracruz is very beautiful. The beach is very beautiful. The food is over there really nice. There is a lot of places around to visit. Oh, thanks, Dad. But you, you planning to go to Mexico City alone? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. They will notice you that you are not from there. Why? Because of my bad Spanish? And because you're bad Spanish, because <laughs> the way you dress, the way you talk. I mean, in, in Mexico City, especially from the airport in that area, they have an intonation in their talking, and they know when somebody is from that, that region. 
That'd be worried about it. I mean, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm an adult. I'm 32 years old. I'll be in Ubers and stuff. I'm gonna be walking alone. <laughs> As I think about being in Mexico, I also reflect about who I am here in the United States. The experiences I've been through and the ones I missed out by not being able to visit Mexico. And it's not just me. Others have felt a disconnect too. I've met many, many young people who've taken trips. And just the, the raw emotion that they described, sitting around a kitchen table with relatives being able to embrace somebody. So many young people that I met also um, missed many birthdays, funerals of grandparents. And so the ability to, to go back in person, there's no underscoring enough. Just the, the, the power of those kinds of moments that until recently have just been closed off to them. And those stories are multiplying as these young people are kind of finding each other and gaining courage to talk about their situation. Coming up, Brian takes his first trip home to Mexico in 30 years. It is surreal to be here because it smells like Mexico. It smells like what I have grew up, my mom, grandma smelling. I'm in this little corridor behind all the busy streets. It's like gardens, playgrounds, skate park. There's like a little stage type thing. That's exactly what I wanted to do when I came here. Stay with us. All right, which way is the beach? This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear. It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. Lori, just Lori, code switch. We're back, and this time I've got Brian De Los Santos himself on the mic with me. Welcome, Brian. 
Hey, Lori, how's it going? Good. Thanks so much for being here. So excited. Brian, we're going to hear more from the beautiful limited series you put together to create Finding Home con Daca. But I really wanted to bring you in so that we could talk. I want to ask you a few questions about different moments that we hear unfold throughout the series. Moments I kind of want more of your inner monologue on. And moments I really wanted to revisit with you now that it's been a few months since your trip, too. Yeah, it's been almost three months now. And I just feel like that was years ago, (laughs) to be honest. The final two episodes of the series take us along with you on your 17-day trip. In Mexico, you take the journey from Los Angeles to your first stop in Puerto Vallarta, Jalisco. But getting to that first stop requires you to get on the plane. I got my Mexican passport. I have my California driver's license. I have my DACA work permit with me just in case. And last but not least, my boarding pass to Mexico for the first time ever. Do you know which airline are you taking off? It is... Okay, Terminal 6. We're going to Terminal 6. On the way to the airport, all these stressful thoughts kept coming back into my head. Do I have enough cash to change? Is my Spanish going to sound okay? Or am I going to sound like a pocho? It's raining in LA right now, so are we going to be delayed? Is my plane going to change? Like, I'm kind of freaking out. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to be a great experience. I'm very happy for you. And I'm really grateful because that's a thing that you've been waiting for a long time. And that's great. That's great. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome. Congratulations. Throughout the podcast series, Brian, you have these wonderful snippets of conversations with your dad. It's clear in those conversations that he's almost as emotional and anxious and excited about you going to Mexico as you are. Were you (laughs) expecting that when you told him about the trip? My father actually has a green card, as you may have noticed, that he's able to travel freely throughout the U.S. and the world Mm -hmm. now. Um, So we're in different statuses as an undocumented family. You know, my parents have legal status. My brother's a U.S. citizen, and I have DACA. Mm -hmm. So the emotions he was carrying, I feel like maybe brought him back to a point where he was able to go back to visit his, you know, home country. And I think as soon as he was able to travel freely, I think he's changed um, and he just is a different person. And I think he was just so happy and worried, like you say, (laughs) at the same time for me to travel. You know, I've spoken to my abuela Hortensia, that's her name, Mm -hmm. um, through Skype, through other video video llamadas, Mm -hmm. you know, video calls. And um, it's not the same, you know, It, I felt her warmth and I think that my dad was looking forward to that moment. He, as you hear in the tape and you hear in the podcast, um, I, I went with him, just with him. You know, we were traveling in a group of, with people, but he made it a point to go and take me to her and show me like his mm-hmm. barrio, you know, his yeah. town of like, oh, look, your grandpa used to work here and I used to like work there and I used to like hang out with right. my friends over there. So it was just like, oh, wow, I'm in the I'm in the space that created my family, yeah, that created my dad. Yeah. Hola. Hola, abuela. ¿Cómo estás, hijo? Bien. ¿Sabes quién es? Brian. No me voy a acordar. Ahí está en las fotos. 
I truly thought that I would never get to meet my paternal grandma in person ever again. Like, my heart was racing. I felt like I was getting dizzy. My whole life I've waited for this moment, and I know it sounds a little cheesy, but it truly felt like I'd been waiting for this moment my whole life. She's so small and tiny. Her hair is way prettier in person. You know, she has some sort of, like, style to her. It was just this moment of, like, the most simple hello, but it meant the world to me. It's kind of wild because I get to see the physical location of my identity. It's manifested here in Ciudad Mendoza, Veracruz. But I've always struggled where I fit into this place. Like, my parents tell me stories about what it is to live here, but I've never lived here. I've struggled with that term again my whole entire life. Ni de aquí, ni de allá. Not from here, not from there. And now that I'm here, it's kind of like an out-of-body experience. I'm walking around with my tia and my prima, and they're showing me around Ciudad Mendoza, which is our hometown. Oh, wow. We just came from Tacos, and we're walking at night. It felt like I was getting the full Ciudad Mendoza experience. Hanging out with family, just casually, talking about work, talking about the culture here in Mexico, and also talking about family chisme. Uh-huh. This was a moment that I had never had before. I'm not able to do this in L.A., I couldn't have done it anywhere else, and just by being here and doing some really simple things like eating tacos meant the world for me. Brian, you saw a lot of people on their own visits to Mexico from the States. Was that hard to see them get to be tourists in the country you've been trying so hard to get back to for so long? I'm going to be honest with you, Lori. I felt a little, I don't want to say the word envious, but I felt a little like, yo, man, like, that's my country and I can't do that, you know? I was at the beach earlier with a friend I met here in Mexico, in Puerto Vallarta. There was a moment where the sun was just setting and it was just so beautiful. I said, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. The beach, the sun, no worries, no thoughts. And I don't think I've ever experienced that. I'm trying to be this journalist right now. Recording, what are you feeling and why are you crying? <laughs> After 30 years of living in the United States, I'm finally stepping foot in Mexico, and this could be my only chance to do it. It's like I'd had to fight my way to find this happiness. So I'm happy, I'm upset. I'm all the emotions right now because. Because I can't have this all the time. (sighs) Brian, what is it like to hear yourself like that? 
when I hear it, every time I hear it, it brings me back to that moment and not necessarily these emotions of, you know, the sad and the happy at the same time, but the the moment of like, oh my God, that that just being in Mexico meant so much to me. Mm. Um it it's it's a hard pill to swallow knowing that hey, I arrived on Friday. That's going to be my last moment, maybe on the beach. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what happens next. And I think part of the emotion you just heard was the grief, knowing that there is a timestamp on when to leave and maybe never be able to come back. Yeah. Um, and also the same time is, is like, oh my God, Brian, you're experiencing like the best thing in the world at the yeah. same time. So it's it's like the, this battle inside of your head and your heart. And, um, you know, as I hear this tape, it just brings me back to like, <sighs> I wish I could have that trip all over again. Wow. Brings you right back to both those extremes. Yeah. My friend Javi and I get in his car and we're playing tourists obviously and we're going to Coyacan which is a really beautiful historic town in Mexico City and I had to ask him how he viewed me am I Mexican? what do you see me as? and I tell him no I'm not gringo I am not a Chicano I don't claim those things because I'm undocumented you know I don't have a US citizenship I don't have a green card after we talk a little bit I think I get it When I was younger, I would look at the things I didn't have, what I couldn't do in the U.S., and he tells me, well, I can do these things. He made me realize about all these privileges that I do have in the U.S., having a work permit, having a car, being able to navigate life a little easier, opportunities I've been able to take just by living here in L.A., (laughs) But I told Javi... I don't feel like the people here treat me differently because of it. I no, no, no. Aquí siempre los mexicanos siempre te aquí en México te vamos a tratar como de pásale paisano, ya sabes. You're a Mexican when you're here in Mexico, he says. We'll treat you like our own. Shout out to Javi. He was dropping <laughs> some real hard truth right there on you. Was that what was that like? So it was like such an eye opener, Lori. Like mm. I was trying to defend myself. And I'm like, hey, yeah. dude, I am undocumented. Like you don't understand. <laughs> you know, I am not gringo at all. Like I represent my community out there in LA. Like I'm Mexican mm. as fuck. <laughs> I, I I don't feel gringo. And he's yeah. just like, but but you you culturally are. And he was just like kind of like shading me in the car, you know, kind of like we're he was spilling the tea. And I'm like, girl, I, I'm not ready for this conversation. And he just kind of like <laughs> threw it in, onto me. And after that conversation, we get to Coyacan and there are a lot of like street vendors there. And of course, like 
as I was trying to speak Spanish and stuff, um, people were just like, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, um, well, I'm from Veracruz, pero vivo en Los Angeles. And they're like, oh, yeah, you could tell. I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like slapping <laughs> have, you in the face in a lot yes, of different ways. Yes. But I really wanted to hammer home that it did change the perspective of who I am mm. in the United States. Now I really do identify as a pocho. And I always thought that was like kind of derogatory. That yeah. was kind of robbing of my Mexican culture of being from uh, the land of Aslan, <laughs> the land of Mexicas. But as I leaned into it and I, you know, thought about what Javi was saying, I was just like, it's true. You know, I'm a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, even though the papers don't say U.S. citizen or U.S. legal resident, I'm a little bit of both, and I'm okay with that. You know, it doesn't take away from my experience, which is my is my own experience. And I think that's what he was just trying to tell me. Like, yo, you're who you are, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Yeah. Um, in my fantasy world, I would have a better Spanish and kind of sound like a Chilango like him, so yeah. someone from the city. Yeah. Um, but it's also my truth to have a bit of a broken Spanish um, and sound like a pocho and dress like an American and like hip hop, but also like reggaeton and, and all the things. And um, I could be a blend of both. And yeah. um, I thought that I had to code switch a lot more yeah. before. And now I'm just like, you know what? It's Spanglish. It is Mexican American. Well, sorry. I don't say that I'm Mexican American, but I do say like I'm Mexican with my roots here in the US. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, right? Like knowing that you don't fit in in one place or the other 100%. But in that same vein, that means that you get the privileges and the identity in pieces um, from both. Do you, can I ask you a question? Do you embrace a certain term for your identity have you come to terms with something where you're like okay i i get it this is how my life has been and maybe this is where i've leaned into it or I, has it not changed i say that i'm latina but mostly because i grew up mostly saying that we were mexican and i'm mexican-american because my dad is from mexico his family's from mexico um and i grew up around my dad's side of the family the most. Pero mi mami es de Ecuador. My, my mom's from Ecuador. And so then after college, when I finally went there, lived there, I did feel sort of like a tug then and a connection to a family that I really hadn't gotten a lot of time with up until that point. So then I sort of shifted, you know, how I would just sort of used to um, habitually say Mexican or Mexican-American, families from Mexico, and wanted to, like, make sure that I was incorporating both. Um, but I was, you know, I was born here. Um, and so I think I do feel really comfortable saying Ecuadorian, Mexican-American. I'm curious, Brian, wh why don't you say that? Huh. Because you, you did just correct yourself, and you did just walk back, you know, that you don't say Mexican-American. Why... Why intentionally is that something that you don't identify as? I think that when someone asks me, oh, where are you from? Um, 
you know, I like to note that I carry an undocumented experience. Mm -hmm. And if they're curious, they can ask more. And if they don't, that's totally okay. Um, And some of these questions actually lead to moments of more understanding. And of course, I don't do this with everyone as of like... Um, and this is kind of what I tell people when they ask me, oh, where are you from or, or what are you? And I'll be like, well, I was born in Veracruz, Mexico, um, but I came to the States when I was two. And I've lived in L.A. and D.C. and Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just give them that little elevator mm-hmm. moment. Um, and then some people are curious. and be like, oh, at two years old. So you're essentially American. And, you know, whether I feel comfortable, I explain to them a little bit about immigration status. Yeah. So I think that's why I've never said Mexican-American. Because I feel like it... I, I am I, I feel like I'm, I am not. And I would be, like, kind of erasing my experience mm-hmm. of being um, a Mexican. Um, and... I feel like part of it, Lori, as well, is like, until I get my U.S. US yeah. citizenship, which, question mark, will it happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then I could say, like, maybe I could say Mexican-American. So that's my little spiel about that. No, I mean, it makes sense. To, you know, you, you were talking about having, like, a very mixed bag just in your most immediate family of status. Are you the last one of your family who doesn't? get to say that you're a citizen that doesn't get to, you know, identify yourself as Mexican-American? Yeah, that's essentially, you know, I'm the the only one. Uh, um, My parents uh, have been legal green card holders for a few years now and, you know, are on their way to becoming U.S. citizens. My brother was born here, so he is a U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. I'm still with DACA. Um, and that's my immediate family. I do have other family members living in the United States that are, you know, undocumented or with, uh, or with work permits. But in my immediate family, it, it is, it is interesting. You know, my parents are actually leaving to go to Spain, um, and then they're going to go to Mexico. And so they're going to do these trips, um, that have to do with their work as ministers. But, you know, I... I'm just like, oh, that's well, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Yes, I'll watch your dog, mom. <laughs> I mean, Brian, yeah, but, does that make you feel angry ever? I get angry at the system. Yeah. I'm never angry or or upset at my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm I'm happy that they're blessed and they're doing what they're doing and what they gotta do. But um, you know, it is unfair. Uh and that gets to me, that does get to me that, like, um, there are pathways for other people and I just have been able to score mine. And so I don't think I have time. I don't think we have the time to break down the immigration system here. <laughs> but my parents essentially got their papers because of my brother. Um, and my brother cannot sponsor me. Um, so it's it's a whole deal. And so it is bittersweet to see these experiences. Do you hope one day to be able to identify yourself as Mexican-American? I mean, I want the papers, honey. So <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I want to identify as someone who has dual citizenship. Yeah. 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 Um, I feel like this country is mine as much as Mexico is my home country. I walk back and the first sign I see 
Welcome to the United States of America. And that was a moment where I felt like, wow, this is how it feels to re-enter this country, my country. I was fortunate enough to go home and feel peace and where I was at and feel like this is part of who I am. Home is... Mexico, I lived there for two years. I'm from here. These are my roots. That is going to be my home as well, just like L.A. is my home. So, hey, I think it's really where you have a memory that makes you a fuller human. That was Brian De Los Santos, the host of How to L.A. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Brian, and for sharing your story with your listeners and letting us share a part of it with ours. Thank you. And that's our show. You can follow us on Instagram at NPR Codeswitch. If email's more your thing, ours is codeswitch at npr.org. You can subscribe to this podcast on the NPR app or wherever you get your podcasts. And just want to give a quick shout out to our Code Switch Plus listeners. We appreciate you and thank you for being a subscriber. Subscribing to Code Switch Plus means getting to listen to all of our episodes without any sponsor breaks. And it also really helps support our show. So if you love our work, please consider signing up at plus.npr.org slash codeswitch. Finally, we're super excited to announce the long-awaited, much-anticipated return and relaunch of the Code Switch newsletter this week, courtesy of the one and only Leah Danella. You can become a subscriber of our weekly newsletter. Just visit npr.org slash newsletter to sign up. This episode was produced for Code Switch by Christina Kala. It was edited by Leah Danella. Our engineer was James Willits. Now here's Brian one more time to shout out the team behind this DACA miniseries and How to L.A. A big shout out to our producer, Evan Jacoby, who spent a lot of time and love into this series. Our other producers are Megan Botel and Victoria Alejandro. Thanks to Hasmik Pagosi and our engineer. Chris Farias is our social media producer. Erica Washington writes our newsletter. Megan Larson is our executive producer, and I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. And a big shout out to the rest of the Code Switch Massive, Dahlia Mortada, Jess Kung, Courtney Stein, Farrellyn Williams, Steve Drummond, Gene Demby, and B.A. Parker. I'm Lori Lizarraga. Call your abuelita. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news. Some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning wherever you get your podcasts.